Well, I'm going to, surprise, surprise, go to Psalm 25 today. My study of Psalm 25 began with a conversation with Dr. Gary Haynes. He'd called me to see if I'd be willing to do a devotional for his CD communication. And as he always does when we talk, he says, Jim, tell me how you're doing. Well, I shared with him a physical trial that I was going through, still, still dealing with it, as I was sharing with Dr. Sherwood earlier. And uh, after I shared with him, he said, you know, I just heard somebody preach on Psalm 25. It really ministered to me. I want to encourage you to read it. So after we finished our telephone call, I immediately turned to Psalm 25. And man, did God begin to minister to my heart. It was such a special, special time. And what happened was that um, I ended up actually doing the devotional for his CD from Psalm 25. And then I was scheduled to preach for a pastor that got COVID. And as I was working on what I should preach for him, the Lord led me back to Psalm 25. Then my pastor uh, went on sabbatical and in his preaching schedule, he started me out first and I told him what I was doing and things I was learning. He said, oh man, preach that. That would be great for our people. I prayed about it and I preached again from Psalm 25. The interesting thing was each time that I wrote, including the article for the communicator. And each time that I preached, I just kept being drawn back and starting all over again. And God started giving me fresh and new insights of things in that Psalm I had not seen before. And I shouldn't be really surprised about that because God's word is active and alive. We simply cannot exhaust its wisdom. In Psalm 25, David is facing some very difficult and troubled times. He describes his emotional state in verses 16 through 18 as, lonely, afflicted, distressed, feelings of guilt. He's wondering if there's something he has done to bring all this to the forefront. You might even say that in the midst of his confusion, he's trying to figure out what's God doing here? What's going on? So in the middle of all that confusion, David turns to God first, and he asks of God three things that he believes will give him the perspective and the wisdom that God wants him to gain. I had mentioned these before, but never with the kind of insights and understanding that I have that I'm going to share with you today. But David simply says, God, show me, guide me, teach me. Verses four and five. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Three very distinct requests. Show me, guide me, teach me. Show me thy ways. The word in Hebrew translated, and I always get nervous in front of Dr. King when I do this, trying to remember the proper pronunciation. But the word in Hebrew translated show is yada. Most often, this is translated learn. But it's the idea of learning by observing. Show me how you would do this, Lord, and then show me thy ways. The word in Hebrew is Derek. It is most translated as road or path. And when you put these two concepts together, you see that David is saying, God, show me the road or the path that you want me to take. Why? Because he is seeking God's perspective and will. Have you ever tried to show somebody something but couldn't get their full attention? It's really quite frustrating. Then I ask myself, I wonder how many times God has felt a sense of frustration with me because he wanted to get my full attention and show me something I had not seen before. But oh no, 
not me. I'm ready to move right on to the next thing, whatever that might be. Three things we need to do to let God get our full attention. First, we need to stop and be still. That way we can wait long enough for God to be able to reveal his good and perfect perspective. In Psalm 46, David writes, be still and know that I am God. Here in the Hebrew is the idea, stop and discover. We call this active listening, and it's a skill that we really need. But in order to do that, we have to be silent. It's hard to listen when you're always constantly talking. We need to be more interested in what God has to say than our own perspective and our own desires. Three, we need to submit to God's wisdom. God is actually wiser than we are. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Just maybe the wisdom writer was correct when he wrote, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will what? Make your paths straight. Show me, God, the path you want me to take. If you're wise, we will join David and pray, show me your ways and teach me your paths. Next, David asked the Lord, guide me in your truth. The King James reads, lead me in thy truth. The NIV translated as guide. Since the Hebrew word translated here is darak, which is usually translated as tread or walk, the word guide grasps the concept. Peterson in the message says, take me by the hand, lead me down the path of truth. Remember how it was with Adam and Eve in the garden? God had planted man in the garden in the east and put him there that they might have fellowship together in Genesis 2. But in Genesis 3, before he confronts them about their sin, it says that Adam and Eve heard God coming through the garden in the cool of the day. God has always desired intimacy with us. Sin broke that intimacy. But through Jesus, that intimacy has been restored. And once again, we can walk with God and he will take us by the hand and guide us in the way of truth. Now, let me illustrate what it means to really follow a guide. I turned 40 when I was pastoring Flagstaff Church of the Nazarene. The men of the church got together and they had a very custom fishing rod made for me. They even had my name on it. And uh, by the man who made the rod, he was famous in that area for doing that. And they hired a guide to take us on a trout fishing trip on the Colorado River. Well, anybody who's ever been on that knows that you're going to see some of the largest trout you've ever seen in your life. Well, I had the privilege of being in the lead boat with the guide since it was my birthday with a couple of the other guys. And as we're going down, you know, I've been fishing all my life. As long as I can remember, I'd see a spot and think, hey, this looks really good. And the guide would say, no, not yet. And we'd go a little farther down the road. And boy, I'm thinking, now that, boy, there's a spot right there. What do you think? He goes, no, not yet. So finally, we get around this bend in the river. And there's this long straightaway with, with rocks and pools. And he says, OK, boys, look over to your right. Look at what you see and cast your bait or your fly behind what you see. What do we see? Some of the biggest trout I've ever seen in my life. I wonder if that's the reason they called him the guide. He seemed to know right where the fish were. What does it take for us to let God guide us in his truth? It takes trust and willingness to let God lead the way. The wisdom writer in Proverbs wrote, again, trust the Lord with all your heart. 
And Jesus taught us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You know, one cannot experience intimacy with God without trust and love. In our daily walk with the Lord, we can be assured that if we will rest our hands in his, he will make his truth, Hebrew chemet, known to us. Vine's Dictionary defines hamet as a contraction from haman, which means stability. God knows what is true. In times of trouble, insecurity, confusion, despair, knowing what God would have us to understand and do brings a sense of stability and confidence in the midst of our troubles. Paul wrote, we have this treasure in jars of clay that the all-surpassing power may be seen as from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, 2 Corinthians 4. We may not always understand why we're going through a trial, but God sees the eternal perspective. He knows how much we can endure, and he also knows that in the end, our faith will increase and we will become more like Jesus as a result of going through this time of trial or suffering. So let us join David and pray in the midst of our troubles. Lord, guide me in your truth. His third request is teach me. I find it interesting that the word translated teach, Lamad, comes from the word which literally means to goad, G-O-A-D, goad. Here in Texas, that brings up the image of a cattle prod. Webster defines goad as a pointed rod used to urge on an animal. For sheep, that might be the shepherd's staff. For donkeys and children, that might be the rod. Sad, but sometimes we're resistant to do things God's way. But he loves us so much as his children that he sometimes has to discipline us for us to learn the error of our own way. We learn that the prodding or goading of the Holy Spirit spurs us on to do God's will. God provides the impulse, the incentive, and motive we need to follow the leadership of the Spirit and the Word. Paul says it this way, his love compels us. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray in Luke 11. Luke says that this happened at a time when they both saw and heard Jesus praying in a certain place. And Jesus' response is what we call the Lord's Prayer. This is one that most of us, I'm sure, have memorized, and it contains elements of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, all wonderful elements of prayer. But perhaps the most important thing for us to remember is that Jesus also taught them to pray to God, your will be done. And how will we know the will of God? We'll let him teach us, goad us if necessary, until with an undivided heart, we desire his will above all. David would remind us that it's the only good and common sense thing to do. He cries out, you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. If our hope truly is in God, then that means that when we pray, we have confidence that God is going to act in such a way that is for our good and his glory. We pray with positive expectation. How many times have we gathered as faculty and been reminded, never forget the God factor? We can testify individually and collectively as the NBC family. God came through with the answer we need every time. Whatever it is we're facing, our hope is in God. So let us then pray with David, Lord, teach me. 
three simple requests. Show me, guide me, teach me, resulting in intimacy with God, wisdom from God, and an inner motivation to love God so much that we want what he wants more than anything else. Today, let our prayer be, God, show me, God, guide me, and teach me. When that is the desire of our hearts, we will truly discover the abundant life that Jesus has for each of us. Whatever the need may be, do not let anything hold you back from experiencing the wisdom, grace, and favor that God so desperately wants to bestow upon you. Paul reminds us, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Romans 8. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3. We will experience immeasurable answers to our prayer if we simply love and trust God enough to say, Lord, please show me, guide me, and teach me. Praise his name.